0: existence, everything we have and do is lived out and under the lordship of Christ. Uh, we can miss that very easily. For example, in the Old Testament, there's a passage in Micah chapter 6, and verse 8 is a verse that many people will have on their desk and, or on their stationery. It says, but the Lord requires of you to love justice, to embrace mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In in other words, all of life is lived out with the understanding, according to that verse, that we are to pursue justice, we are to embrace mercy, and to walk with humility. Everything. In Matthew chapter 15, our Lord is having a discussion with some of the teachers of the law who would make void or non-effect the word of God for their own traditions. And the Lord says this, he says, rightly did Isaiah say, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men and neglecting the clear teachings of, of God. And then he talks about dietary laws and foods and how these people were very exacting about what they ate. And Christ says this, "Don't you see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled?" But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, and murder, and adultery, and sexual immorality, and theft, and false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. In other words, Christ is saying it's easy to honor the Lord with our lips and, and to miss it. It's easy to miss that everything is to be lived out under the stewardship of life as we walk in the Lordship of Christ. Example, some people would say, well, this, this is my life that I, and, and it's, they're, they're good things. I'm a communitarian. I'm a father. I'm a son. I have a job. I, I, I am a physical being. I am a citizen of this country. And part of the slice of my life is, is faith. I'm a, yeah, I'm a person of faith. But the way I understand the New Testament should look something like this, the Lordship of Christ, everything is lived out under the lordship. everything that we do. Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first. He says in Matthew 14, if you come to me and don't hate your father and your mother, your wife and your children, your brothers and your sisters, and even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. See, Lord, everything, everything is under the Lordship of Christ. In this passage, or the book we'll be looking at in the next few weeks, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, in light of the greatness of our salvation, Peter says, therefore prepare your man, minds for action and be sober-minded. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a slice of the pie. He's Lord of everything. We're to glorify him with our body the way we live. There's a quote in the bullet from C.S. Lewis, and he says that really, when you come to Christ, the Lord starts working in your life, just like changing a house. He says, he starts unpacking plugging plug the drains and cleaning out the gutters, and we say, the, the, yeah, okay, but, but pretty soon as we walk with God, he starts knocking out walls and putting up a new roof and, and, and redoing the whole house, and he says, it's, it's, at times it can be very difficult, but then he says this, he is building a palace, he intends to come and live in it himself. We were expecting a nice little cottage by the sea, he is building a palace, see, The Lordship of Christ. Everything is under uh, under the reality of Christ. So so as as we walk through this, I want to say that that we are to live as a a called out people. A people called of God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says, To those who are the elect exiles, elect, called out. Chapter 2, verse 9 says. You're a chosen race, chosen, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, a called out people. And, and as we understand that we're to be a, a, a called out people, we, we are to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says, he says once you weren't a people of God, now you are the people of God because of Jesus. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. We're to be, be called out people. We're to travel hopefully. We're to travel hopefully with, with great joy and hope. Chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We're called out, we travel hopefully to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Verse 13, I just read, therefore prepare your minds for action, be sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. And we are also love earnestly, which I'll talk about next week, First Peter 4. But, but, But we do all of this as we continually taste the goodness of God. As we continue to taste the goodness of who Christ is for us, chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore put aside all malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander, and like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, we do all these things as we continually taste the goodness of the living God, have you tasted that? Are you tasting the goodness of Christ? Are you tasting the joy of sins forgiven? Are you tasting the hope of heaven? Are you tasting the, the eternal love of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit for you? Do you understand that you, your life has been redeemed from the pit, as we just heard? That you've been crowned with loving and kindness and tender compassion. Chapter 1, verse 8 says this. It says, Though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. do says you, 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 don't, you don't see him yet. You will one day. But you've experienced his grace in your heart. Your eyes have been opened to the reality of Christ. And so, and so you rejoice with an inexpressible joy this shot through with glory. So we live as called out people. We live hopefully, we love earnestly as we taste the goodness of the Lord. And and, and because of that, we run to Him. And so we come to the passage, I'm going to deal with chapter 4 and 5 in the next few weeks. Chapter 4, verse 7 says this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, one version says, therefore live with a sound mind... Or a sound judgment and a sober spirit so that you can pray. The end of all things is at hand. Which can be translated, you live in the messianic age. You live in the time that Abraham and Isaiah and David longed to see and live in. You live in the end of the ages. With the full revelation of Christ. The end of all things is at hand. Or you can say, life is short. Life is short. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of a sound mind and a sober spirit so that you can pray or so that you can worship correctly or so that you can live all of your life under the strong and abiding and historical reality of Christ and Him crucified. But if you're going to have stewardship of life, you've got to have You've got to understand the end of all things is at hand, and you've got to live with a sound judgment and a sober spirit. See, all of this is is, is an outworking of this theme in chapter 2 where he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. In light of your salvation, live this way. And he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And it says, In light of that, live this way. And he talks about relationships here, relationships there, in the marketplace, in the home. And then he comes to this general application. He says, Hear me. He says, Be of a sound judgment and a sober spirit, therefore so you can pray, so, so you can worship aright. And so as I, I want to mention three things, three attitudes, three diabolical issues that keep us from fully embracing stewardship of life, fully embracing the reality of Christ. When you think about developing a sound judgment. And a sober spirit, so I can pray. So I need, I need to develop a, a, a sound mind, a sound judgment, and a sober spirit. I need to be fully alert and watchful so I can pray or worship or seek God. So, so three issues. Number one, uh, the first lie is I can't change. I can't change. I am what I am, I come from my family. I come from my ethnic, I come from my geographical background, I am what I am. My family is an Italian family, shot through with emotional ups and downs, and anger and joy, that's just who I am. Well, get rid of the anger and embrace the joy. Or my my family is this, I I, I talk to people frequently and say, well, you know, it can't change. And yet chapter 2, verse 9 says this. You've been called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Two verses down it says, live in such a way that that, that when the non-believers see you, they'll give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Jesus says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We can change. I recently watched the 1998 edition of Les Mis I haven't seen the musical yet in the theater I'll wait for it to come out probably in the dollar red box that's what I do just you can pause it and eat popcorn in your own house just so much more fun to me anyway but in the 1998 movie you know the story Jean Valjean has been imprisoned 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread and he's being hounded by Inspector Gervais and John Valjean becomes the mayor of this city and is a real blessing. And It's, it's a wonderful story. And John Valjean is having this dialogue with the inspector, and the inspector thinks he might recognize him. And John Valjean says something like this, well, you know, people can change. And, and, and then the inspector says this, he says, reform is a discredited fantasy. Modern science tells us people are by nature lawbreakers or law abiders, a wolf can wear sheep's clothing, but he is still a wolf. I think that's the way a lot of people operate in our culture. I am what I am. People are what they are. They don't change. But let me show you what the Word of God says. He says men never change. That's the picture. Okay, Here's what Scripture says. The Bible says, verse 16 says, when when Christ is preached, the veil is taken away. When Jesus is preached, people see. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory by the Lord who is the Spirit. We who with unveiled faces, we, we see Christ, are being transformed with ever-increasing glory by the, by the Lord, who is the Spirit. I, I, I pray that this year will be crowned with the glory and gladness of Jesus in your life by the Holy Spirit. I pray that we'll be changed from glory to glory with ever-increasing glory by the Lord who is the Spirit." God changes people. We should be changing as we submit ourselves to Christ. I I think of the extremes that people go to to change. I read about this invention recently, it's an invention called Clocky, by a graduate student at MIT. And Clocky, you, you set, just kind of wild, but you set the time you want to get up and it goes off and those wheels start turning and Clocky falls off of your bedstand and goes somewhere in your room and really hides. But, I mean, you, so you have, to, it, you have to get up and find Clocky and turn it off and by that time, you're so mad, you're wide awake. And I thought, you know, I think the, the extremes... That, that people go to, to to wake up in the morning to, to get a shower and to get to work. And I, I say, you know, how about me? Jesus says in Matthew 5, if you're, if you're, speaking metaphorically, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it down and throw it away, it is better to go to heaven maimed. Am I pleading... With God to change me. I'm preaching to me, man. So w- one of the discouraging things about being with people sometimes, including me, I have to live with me all the time, is sometimes I just say, Where is the change? Lord, conquer. Rage, conquer lust conquer apathy in me where is the change i say lord you say in the word of god that is true and binding and glorious that you're changing your people from glory to glory with ever increasing glory do it and so I, i come to this conclusion if i am not changing and i am a believer in jesus it is because I don't want to change. It's because I'm not yielding myself to the Holy Spirit. And I'm not cutting off my right hand and doing new things and going new ways. Hear me. All of us are there. You see, one of the great lies that keep us from the stewardship of life and proclaiming the excellencies of God is, well, I just can't change. You can change. By the power of the Holy Spirit. I and mean, may this you be crowned with the presence and power of God. I was reading recently about this, this guy, man said that, that, that a holiness leads to, an, to, to honor, peace, and usefulness. Honor because you elevate the name of the living God. Peace because he visits you with his presence. And, and usefulness because he empowers you. And he says this, Holiness makes a man a good man. Holiness living unto Christ. It makes a man useful to all and others. Eat of the fruits of the Spirit that he brings forth continually. Lord, change me. May I live in such a way that therefore I am of sound judgment and a sober spirit so i can pray and so i can worship so i can live life as a steward unto god i read some reviews i'm going to read this book about a book named bend not break about a young woman named last name is is a is, uh, Ping. story goes that she's now 54 but when she was eight she was living with her family her family was part in china her mom and dad both were professors, they were intelligent, they were trained, and so during the Cultural Revolution of 1966 to 1976 in China, which was a heinous thing, they, they seized uh, the intelligent people, the academic people, and, and either they put them to death and put them in forced labor camps. They seized this little eight-year-old girl and put her in a forced labor camp for 10 years. Where she was sexually molested repeatedly where she was beaten where she saw horrible things where they did not allow her to ever learn anything beyond what she had learned at age eight and 10 years later the Cultural revolution was over the gang of four if you remember was discredited uh, she got out and she wanted to go to college but she had no education and so she had to to, to pass an entrance exam, which was unbelievable, but she, she studied day and night for several months and she passed the entrance exam, went in, made incredible grades, went on and got her master's at this university in, in mainland China. And her master's thesis was on the horrific results of the one child policy in China. And she went to villages and interviewed countless people. And about in China, to, even today, you have one child, period. And so the, the many, many, many countless females are aborted in the womb because everyone wants a boy in china in china if you have a a a child and you call your friends say i had a child they will say well was it a boy or a girl if you say it was a girl he'll say i I'm, i'm sorry really so anyway the the devastating effect of the one child policy which is social engineering runneth amok she wrote this paper, and she was picked up on the web and published, and it created a stir in the academic community. The Chinese picked her up and put her in prison for several months, and they finally said, we're done with you. And so they, they kicked her out of the country. She came to the U.S. She came to the west coast of the U.S. with $80 and was able to speak three English phrases. Thank you, good morning, and how are you doing? Something like that. That was it. She waitressed. She cleaned hotels. She was, finally was able to learn enough English to get into a graduate school at the University of New Mexico. And today, she's the leader of one of the leading Silicon Valley companies in the U.S. Incredibly successful, and she said, "I determined all my life to live as a sunrise person." There she is today. She says, "A sunrise person always believes that there's something good that awaits them," And, and she's speaking without, as I've read these reviews and read her interviews, not as a Christ follower. And I thought, if this dear woman with everything she's been through says, I'm going to live as a sunrise person, how much more should I travel hopefully? H- how much more should I f- fix my hope completely on the grace to be brought to me, the revelation of Jesus? How much more should I say, Lord, allow me to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into your marvelous life? Lord, allow me to be the type of person that gives you glory. Or are you changing? Are you a sunrise person, S-O-N, rise person? Because Christ is risen. Do you travel hopefully? Because the best is yet to be. This week say, Lord, how, how by your spirit do you want me to change? And if you don't get the answer there, just ask your spouse, okay? Number two. The second lie, the second lie is we say, it's too late. Or for some of you, it's too early. but It's just too late. I've, I've, I've blown it. I'm in where I am. It's too late. Listen, that's a lie from the pit of hell. It's never too late. It's never too late to come to the Lord and say, Lord, take the broken, tattered remains of who I am and, and, and make, make me something that is glorious in your sight. There's this quote in the bulletin, man. It is a I think I've got it up here. Well, Joel 2.25 says this, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. I'll repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locust, the young locust, the other locust." My army that I sent among you. I I will repay you for the years. I don't understand this, but you you take your brokenness, you come to the living God, and you say, "God, use me. I I give it. I give the tattered remains of who I am to you, and He'll redeem the years the locusts have eaten." I, I believe that. Lewis says this. This is incredible. If we let him, for we can't prevent him. If we choose, he will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a God or goddess. A dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. I believe that. The Bible says we've been called to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's never too late. That is alive in the pit of hell. I've been married these years. Our marriage is what it is. It's just the way it is. That's a lie. That's a lie. The third third lie that keeps us from the stewardship of life as I've thought about this is is we say, my, my sins or my failures are more damning and more confining than the power of the cross. My sins, my failures, are more damning and confining than the power of the cross. I read a story about a lady who was, a, a, the man who wrote the article, a very earnest Christian. Um, and, and, and she came to him one day and said, I, I've, I've just been bludgeoned to death emotionally with this thought. I just am not sure that my sins are forgiven. I says, well... Let's talk about it. He says, have you trusted in, surrendered yourself to the reality of Christ who died on the cross for your sins? Are you trusting him to forgive you for your sins? He says, yes, I think you see As I've observed your life, I would say the same. I would say you have. He says, do you understand that, that, that Christ bore the penalty in his body that we deserve to bear? Yes, yes, I believe. I understand that. He said, not, so is there any major undealt with sin that keeps you from seeing that? No, I, I, I think. He says, I, I, I believe that you're, he says, well, what's the problem? She said, this, I just, she said, I, I get this nagging feeling in my heart that there's something that I must do. And the pastor said, you know, you're right. You are a horrid sinner you may have no hope and it startled her he was overstating he says what do you mean he says your standards are higher than the standards of the holy 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 triune god the holy 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 triune god says that he became a man and he he bore our sins in his body on the cross and that is enough jesus cried out it is finished and all of creation shouted, Amen. See, we don't ever believe that your sins or your failures are, are more confined and powerful than the grace of the cross. There's a soft drink commercial that's played cyclically during this these football games. So I've seen it several times. And it's... A, a, somebody's i think it's dr pepper you drink dr pepper and all of a sudden you tear off your shirt and you have got a, a white shirt and emblazoned upon it is maybe saxophonist or a marathon runner and you're drinking and everybody drinks and they all tear off their shirts and they've got these red letters uh, uh, athlete student grandmother whatever and they they make this mighty mighty tidal wave as they go throughout the city drinking dr pepper i don't get they're saying, but that, I guess I remember it, so I guess it works. But, but as, I, as, I, as I saw that, I thought, you know, it would be very interesting for, uh, for us to stand up and tear our shirts off, and there is a white shirt, and emblazoned in red letters is one of our sins, adulterer, substance abuser. A liar, gossiper, divisive person, you know, anything. And the point is, nobody here would have a blank t shirt, folks. Nobody. You go down to the nursery, even they've got sinner on their white, because the Bible says you're conceived in sin. We inherit a sin nature, and then a few years to say, beat up my sister or disobey my parents. They'll get there very quickly, by the way. <laughs> Trust me. Won't take long. I just say, God, God, let me understand that the power of the cross is greater than the confining horror of my sins. Grace is greater. I had this thought the other day, you know, you talk to people, you say, well, uh, are you worshiping anywhere? Well, no, I kind of believe in God, but the church is filled with hypocrites. Of course, we've heard that 500 times, and then I thought, you know, in, in one way, let me tell you something, I don't, think there's a, I don't think there's a single hypocrite here today in this regard, a hypocrite one definition is that it's someone who puts up a false pretense or appearance of virtue or religion. Every person who really knows Jesus says, I am sunk without Jesus. So there's no false virtue. We've all got T-shirts with a lot of, we, I mean, we, we would, some of us would need a whole closet of white T-shirts. You know what I mean? But we've all got several T-shirts with white stuff or red markings all over it, red blocks. I mean, that's, that's who we are. The grace of Christ is greater than your sin. See, all of this section in 1 Peter 4, 7 is lived out of the reality of who Jesus is. That's who we are. That's what the stewardship of life is about. We live as called out people. We travel hopefully. We love earnestly. And we do this as we taste the goodness of Christ. And we plead, Lord, crown my days, crown this year with your empowering blessings to the honor of your name. Let me live it out because I'm called of you. Let me live it out because I travel hopefully. Let me live it out because I want to love earnestly as I taste your goodness. Blessed be the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, uh, this is your day, and we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. And I would earnestly ask that you would, even uh, as we pray this week and think this week, point out an area where we need um, to walk in obedience, whether it's uh, a commitment to think more clearly and to study the Bible, be involved in a, a, a Sunday morning Bible study or to have fellowship where we're supported and get plugged into a small group, or, or, Lord, whether we need to be broken before our spouse or our friends and confess a sin to deal with issues that, that drag us down. Lord, I thank you that um, a holy man is a useful man. A holy man or woman is, is someone who honors you. Someone who is holy has the peace of Christ in their hearts. And we want that, Lord. And we proclaim loudly and with great passion that it's never too late. We proclaim with great joy that we can change by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, it's because the grace of the cross is greater than our stupidities and failures and stumblings and bumblings. And we thank you that you take the broken, tattered remains of what we are and you weave it into a tapestry of beauty. That's just so good. That's so good. So we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.